I don't need batteries. Y'all can still see my pants. I don't know what that has to do with anything. There's some sermons where you, you want to get up and you want to say, are you sitting down for this? It's, and I felt like maybe I needed to sit down, but I'm not one of those tall bodied people um, that you would be able to see real well. You know, if Rick's up here, he can sit down on a stool and doesn't disappear. I'm just, I'm gone. Uh, but this is one of those sermons that I get nervous about. Because but what happens is the, the, it steps on my toes first, and that I ner- that I'm, I'm, I'm a little anxious it's going to step on yours, and I hope so, uh, because it move. I think I think we can get pretty comfortable, and maybe this will move us one way or the other. Uh, so I'm just going to preach the text as clearly as I see it and see what happens. Um, this may not be you at all. Maybe last week stepped on your toes, and this week will not. But anytime you get to thinking within a sermon, oh, I know who needs to hear this. Jokingly, not, not jokingly, when you're serious. I, I have from some friends I joke like that with. But when you're serious and you think, oh, I know who this is about. And it's not the person you see in the mirror while you're brushing your teeth. Then you've made a mistake in listening. Um, you all go home and you talk about how poorly the preacher talked. And preachers go home and talk about how, how poorly y'all listened. Not, not this preacher, but I'm guessing other preachers do. <laughs> you remember uh, last week we had this uh, conversation about... The, this, this lost son, this young man who went to his father, who was a younger son, who went to his father and said, I'm, I, I would like my part of the inheritance. So he, get, he got one-third of the inheritance and went and squandered it and um, laid in a, got, lost his, um, all of his money and went to a pigsty, really, and, and, um, because a famine had hit and he needed some work and he longed to eat what the pigs were eating. And so he said to himself, I am going to go be one of my father's servants because my father's servants have bread to spare. So I'm going to go back to him and say, Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you and I I would like to be one one of your servants. So please accept me as one of your hired hands. Well, we'll find out what happened after he did that next week. We all know the story. He comes home, his father accepts him, and throws a party. So much so that when the older brother is coming in from the field, he hears something. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. The words here imply he was in the field working. You don't, he wasn't skipping. He was in the field working. So there's two sons... Coming to the house, one from a a life of sin, one from a life of work. So he's in the field working, and the other son in the city, sinning, as you say in the south. Leave that G off of there. And so he comes comes home, and he gets a part. He's coming home from working in the field. When he came nearer to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, I don't know how many of you dance at home, but when it gets audible, it's probably getting out of control. He heard music, and he heard 
dancing. This is, and we did a sermon on this a while back where I mentioned this. This is, um, and Church of Christ people are not familiar with this, this is a good party. <laughs> We're not used to those terms. But this is a good party. Music and, I'm sure it's acapella, music and dancing. And, he, and it's an audible Music, an audible dance, he hears it, and so much so that he calls one of the servants over, or one of the children, actually the word here I think is children, and this translation says servants, and ask him what was going on, and say, hey, what's going on? What's, what's the music and dancing? His response, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has him back safe and sound. Your brother came home, and he's home and he's safe and sound, so your dad killed the fattened calf. And as much as we would like to think that our response would not be similar, the older brother here says, What? Are you kidding me? Actually, it says that he became angry and refused to go in. Jesus says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Refused to go in. This isn't just, I'm not going in. This is when people come up to you and say, hey, come in. And he says, no. Angrily, no. I'm not coming in. I'm not coming inside the house with that that boy in there and you're celebrating his return. I'm not going to do it. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. His, answer, his father comes out and says, come, just come inside. And he says, no, look, uh, there's a word in Greek. Uh, it means uh, behold, really. The King James will sometimes say, whenever the King James says behold, it's edu. It's this Neat little word in Greek. where, it, But it really means, look! Like, I mean, pay attention. Listen to what I'm about. Look, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You never threw me this sort of party. Look how he refers to him. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. All right, let's look at his attitude for a second. We'll go back to the, the previous slide. His gripe is, and I think I, I think I can understand this to a certain extent. He's coming in from the field working, and his father's throwing a party for this, for this son of his. He says, this son of yours goes off and squanders your wealth. I've been working all this time, and you've never once thrown me a party. It's in this statement that we find the older son's inability to rejoice. He says, I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders but you never gave get, have get, you have never given me anything 
for the things I have worked for. Christians who believe they are earning their salvation cannot rejoice when grace happens around them. Christians who think they are earning their salvation cannot rejoice, cannot celebrate when grace happens around them. You just can't. Because you start comparing and contrasting and you say, well, I've been slaving away for, for all this time and you haven't even given me this thing, that not even half of what you've given to this, this son of yours. Notice he doesn't say my brother. This son of yours who is out squandering your property. The, the Greek here is like devouring. Like if you had it all, just you took it and just wasted it. Squandering your property on prostitutes. On riotous living. He threw it all away. But I, I've done this thing. And he did this thing. And now you're doing what? If, it, if we connect, and I, listen, I connect with this older brother. I do. There's a, there's a part of me that really connects with what he has to say. But that part of me is not from God, and it's not from morality, and it's not from how I was raised, and I was raised right. That, that nonsense. Put that away. Because that's the sort of thinking that makes you think, I deserve something, Father. Put all that away. It's not the reason I feel the same way the older brother feels is because Satan loves it when I feel that way. Not because I was raised right or I have good ethics or good morals and I learned how to behave in a public place. None of that. And Satan would love for me to back up my feeling of entitlement with those excuses. But what, what happens, what is majestic, is when we look at the Father and realize that if we would have just asked him for a young goat and for a party, he would have given. But we were too busy working for the grace to enjoy what the Father was blessing us with. We're too busy trying to earn it. And while we're earning it, the people who haven't earned it in our mind, which, it's funny, the standard is always us. Right? There's how much I've earned it is about how much you need to earn it. I've, I've crossed this line, and turns out you need to cross that line. Uh, Patrick Mead, he's a preacher uh, in Nashville, tells a story about speaking at a conference. And um, he's, uh, I think, Scottish, I think. Um, uh, and so he tells the story a lot funnier than I'm about to. Um, but he tells a story about um, speaking at a conference. And a woman comes up to him after the conference and says, says, you know what? I really have enjoyed this conference. And he said, oh, good, I'm thankful. And he was starting to think, well, that's because I'm a fantastic speaker. And she says, it's because here they sing the songs God likes. <laughs> and he said, oh, 
let me guess, those are also the songs you like. And she goes, well, yes, not catching the irony. But we, we don't catch, when, when laid out in front of everybody, it's obvious that that's ironic. But we do the same thing. We, we have a level that we've attained, we've earned, and we kind of have reached this point. You know, we're not right about everything, but we're right about some of the things that matter. And we don't really do everything perfect, but we do the good things that matter. And of course, the good things that matter are the good things you do. And the bad things that matter are the bad things you don't do. And the standard is Benjamin. The standard is us. And it's a broken, horrible way to live because while you may think you're living ethically, you are living in a way that is eventually going to damage every single relationship you have. Your spouse will not be a good enough spouse because your spouse quite isn't quite the spouse that you are. Your friends and neighbors will not be good enough friends and neighbors because your friends and neighbors won't be a good enough as good of friends and neighbors as you are. Your family, your church family won't be that great of a church family. If everyone could just do the same sorts of things at church, I do. We, we all have this standard. And when we have the standard, no one will meet it. Even those people who sort of need it and, and are maybe exceed it and we'd recognize it, we just wipe them clean out of our brain. Just They don't even exist. Because the standard is me. And that young man, or the older brother, walks home and is upset because the younger brother and, the, and his father has, have violated the standard that he has set. When the true standard that he should be aspiring to is that of the father standing in front of him. The true standard is whenever we can let go and join in the dance and the celebration of repentance and renewal and forgiveness and grace. But it, 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 listen, I'm not picking on Church of Christ. I really, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm just picking on church people. And I think the Bible picks on church people quite often. Uh, because this, this is a sermon that will step on the toes of Baptists and Churches of Christ and Assemblies of Gods and Methodists and Pentecostals. It'll, it'll step on the toes because everyone has the tendency to make the standard something that, li that resides solely in me and become something that we can't ever achieve. Because I look at other people and I can see their motives and they're always bad. And I can see my motives and they're always quite good. And when comparing, when comparing other people's actions to my intentions, we will always win. And this, this older brother is me. This older brother is you. At, at our default, especially at our default in Christianity, we just think there's a certain level people need to attain there's also something else going on here, and it's a little more demented and a little more devilish. I think this older brother was frustrated that the younger brother was no longer who he had judged him to be. The older brother was mad 
that he had come home and been accepted as a son. How can you accept him? Do you know what he did? Now, this, this, this is what's beautiful about this story is we are all the younger brother and we are all the older brother. We are all the ones who need to get up and repent and we are all the ones who watch other repent people repent and feel a little bit uncomfortable. To see when people change their lives. Jesus um, has a teaching about at the, at the very as he's summing up the Sermon on the Mount, he, he has said, don't, don't be angry, and he said, don't lust, and he has said, um, don't worry, and he said, seek first the kingdom, and he said all these things. And then he says at the very end, and this is probably something that, um, that all preachers need to tag onto the end of their sermon, is he says, don't judge other people. Because how can you, even though you have a speck in, or a plank in your eye, try to fix the speck that in some, is someone else's eye? Now, this is not, this is not one of those verses. The, the way the world uses this verse is just silly. The Bible says don't judge. Well, no, not, I don't know why the world is southern and sassy. That was the, how I gave them. That's it. Um, but sin is sin. And when we point out sin and said, that's, that's sin, and sin needs, it, there are times sin needs to be paid for, and sin needs to, like, people need, it is good for people to suffer the consequences of their sin. That is a good thing. Because it helps us not do the sins again. And I think that is a very needed and helpful thing in just about, well, I'll, we'll say every case. Because I can't think of a a case where it's not helpful. So sin is sin, and we can call sin sin. What Jesus, I think, specifically is, is talking about here is labeling people and then not letting them free from that label. So the older brother, the older brother, had watched the younger brother run off and had heard reports of how he was living and how he was losing all his money and felt superior. Well, I'm here working. I'm the good brother. And he felt superior to the younger brother. And then the younger brother comes and repents and comes back to God. And the, and the father accepts him. You can no longer put the label on him that made me feel superior to, this, to him. So when we judge, what we're doing, we're really doing is labeling people. You are a drunk you are a heathen. You are an addict. You are this. You are that. And when people change, it really messes with us because we like, we like the world the way we have arranged it, where people are their sins and I am trying. The older brother had labeled the son. The lost son, he had labeled him. And when the label, we trust our labels often more than we trust the God who redeems us from our own. We have, we have been called by Jesus 
to come inside and dance. We have been called by the Father to abandon the frustration and the anger that we have with these people. These people that are, that are they're just that. You know, Benjamin's Benjamin. Actually, that's, kind of, that's typically code for Benjamin's a jerk. But whatever it is, we just know people and, and we associate them with a certain act. That's why I could never preach at my home congregation. Because they would always see me as two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old Benjamin. Oh, heaven help me, 12-year-old Benjamin. They wouldn't, I mean, they would just always, they would see me and they'd flash back to those days when um, my head's been the same size since I was born. I look like a Tootsie Roll pop. Just weebling and wobbling through the church, having a hard time running. They would see me as that kid who was just silly and couldn't quit. Um, and, the, and the labels really bother us when the labels start to change. Well, he, he was this, she was that. Well, they're not that now. Well, you don't know them like I know them. We, I, think, I think what's great about our God and what's gracious about our God is he lets who we are change over time. He lets us repent. He lets us forgive. He lets us come home. He lets us celebrate and dance and rejoice. And then the scariest part is we don't do that for other people. We don't let other people be flexible in who they are. We don't let other people repent. And if they do, we have a really hard time celebrating it. Uh, I know I do. I really do. I have a hard time seeing someone who lived a life that maybe I thought they were making foolish choices or maybe they weren't the, the smartest. Maybe you ever met somebody a few, a few bricks shy of a load? Have you ever met someone a half load shy of a load? And, and maybe they come back to you and there's something else and there's somebody else and you think, oh, that's... Can I rejoice? Can I dance? Well, no, I can't. But I don't mean biblically. I mean just technically not able. I've been thinking about me dancing for the last 30 seconds. I'm having to move on. Yeah. But as a dad, my main goal in life is to embarrass my kids, and so I dance on I shall. But can we celebrate? Are we the type of people who can celebrate repentance? And you know, celebrating other people's repentance, celebrating other people's return home, celebrating other people's forgiveness is not about them. Your inability to do so is about you and only you. 
It's about me and only me. My inability to forgive, my inability to repent, uh, my inability to celebrate repentance, that says something about me. That's a me problem. And listen, I am not, preachers, you know the, the old saying, you point a finger, you've got three pointing back at you. Some people say four, and I don't know what they're doing with their thumb while they're pointing. The preachers developed a thing called the hand of condemnation. It's all five fingers going out at the congregation. You see preachers do this. They're condemning you. That's a, it's like an like accusation, um, automatic gun. I, I am not, I, I really don't want to come across as, as like just beating on you about this. I'm not. I, I really wrestle with this. And I think us as just, just Christians and people who have tried to live our life the, to, the, to the best of our ability really wrestle with this. And you may just be coming home. You may just be coming home off from a life of just riotous living. I will say be patient with us, too. Because we're not great at it either. You come home grief-stricken, and we come home proud. But we're both coming home to a father who begs us to come in. And to see the world like he sees the world. That's going to be my struggle. But I think, I think as the church, I think we can struggle with that together. That we can nudge each other when we're not necessarily celebrating repentance. That we can kind of, we can, we can challenge each other to, to rejoice in forgiveness This week, or this Sunday, is uh, Palm Sunday. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, it's, it's when Jesus entered. It's, supposed to, it's the day that Jesus entered the temple. And Easter next week is the day that Jesus rose from the grave. One of the things that happened when Jesus was walking into the temple, uh, making this triumphant entry, is people rejoiced and they celebrated. And some people were not happy with that celebration. And they caused a riot. And it is mainly because of his entrance into the into this city and the people celebrating and rejoicing his entrance into the city that he was crucified. There were certain religious leaders who saw him as something, and whenever it became clear that he was something else, they just couldn't be flexible with their labels. But the good news is, Easter is coming. Good Friday was not as good the first time it happened. It is only good because years later we can look and say, Resurrection is coming. In this broken world, we're, we're broken on both sides. We're, we're struggling to repent, laying in a pit, or we're working in the field, refusing to go in and party. Like a good kind of party, a Christian party. That, we're struggling on both sides. 
Next week we will talk about the resurrected Savior who brings us into the house and celebrates with us. But in the meantime, I think, I think we need to be paying attention to, especially as religious people. I mean, good grief, I'm wearing a tie. How holy can you get? Especially as religious people, I, we've, we've got to get better at seeing people who are lost and are now found. Seeing people who are dead and are alive. And rejoicing and celebrating their recoveries. Rejoicing and celebrating their return home. This week, pay attention to how you do that. Remember last week we talked about being self-aware? Self-awareness is the first step to repentance. We need to be self-aware of how we do this too. Um, and it could be small ways, but it could be big ways. But there's a good chance, whether it's small or big in your own eyes, it's something that's damaging your relationships. Break free from that. Come on in and celebrate with the sinners who are repenting, who are trying so hard to repent. And if, sinners, if you've come home and felt the love of the Savior and you look outside and occasionally see your religious older brother being more upset that the religion is being violated instead of the relationships, be patient with us too. We're slowly repenting. But we want you to know we're trying. We love you. Maybe, maybe the call today is to not repent of your evil and um, debaucherous life. But the call to repent today is to celebrate with those who have come home from such. Last week's call was to come up out of the pit. And this week's call is to come down off thy high horse. You haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. Let's celebrate together. If you need anything this morning, if you want to come back or in either direction, come into the house, either direction, please, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.